So I, I want to be clear because maybe I've sucked at explaining this. The the point about you know taking breaks is a common need. I'm not saying you don't take breaks. Uh, I, I believe I even in that episode talked about how you know I read every day and I go walking every day. You know those are things that I do which you could classify as a break, and I schedule them in my daily routine because. Well, A, it's healthy, and B, uh, it's healthy uh, for, for you to have those things. I'm going to guess what C is. Uh, it's also healthy. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's right. I'm so good at that. Well, Jeff, it seems that our episode on the idiosyncrasies of your brain have <laughs> garnered us some responses. The idiosyncrasy, idiosync, how do you say that? Say idiosyncrasies. <laughs> that word. I yes. love that word, actually. Yeah, it's a great word. I just can't say it sometimes. But yeah, so some people had some thoughts about your brain. Do you do you want to do you want to get into that? Uh, sure. Yeah, actually, that sounds. Well, I don't want to say fascinating. It sounds interesting to me. Okay. Though I, my brain is not the subject. Maybe it is. It feels weird. Like uh, my brain is now going to be talking about my brain. It's, it's a little bit weird. It's very but meta. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. This is going to be a very meta episode, I think. So uh, let's do it. Okay. So to start off, we'll, we'll go with our telegrams and matrix channel. Okay. Um, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this name right, but uh, Sebalon. I'm guessing. If that's wrong, let me know. Uh, you, you failed to give me the phonetical guide to how to pronounce your screen name, so pass that along to me when you can. Anyway, he says, I just listened to episode 49, Jeff's attention budget, and wanted to let Jeff know that he's not alone. And as an introverted person, I feel it explains much of how I work. And hmm. I, just for clarity, because this is a very deep topic with lots of tendrils that go everywhere, I wanted to be clear I responded back that, you know, introverted isn't explicitly linked with attention differences. Some extroverted people that I know are that way. Um, I know many introverted people that have enormous depths of attention, even though they're introverted. So it's not necessarily a one for one. Uh, introverted versus extroverted doesn't really equate directly with how much attention capacity they have high or mm -hmm. low. Uh, they can yeah. align, but they don't they don't have to align. They don't have to, yeah. And then Orbitz chimed in about how his understanding is that, you know, the the recharge, how you recharge. If you recharge with people or being alone, and you're like, yep, that's the introversion, extroversion thing. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned a, a friend of mine who is introverted, and you know, she can juggle 16 million different high-intensity things constantly. So just being introverted and wanting to keep to yourself doesn't mean you can't be amazing at right. attention. Well, I think you skipped over that uh, Orbitz. He used to, or she, he, I don't know if Orbitz is he or she, he used a great word, gregarious. You skipped that part. I thought that was neat. So I want to highlight that. That's a good, good word choice there. Yeah, he did. He did use the word gregarious. That's true. And uh, Sebalon re replied back in saying, you know, that it was the whole introverted, extroverted attention, high, low thing. Um, he said that, you know, he understands that they're not linked, uh, but in his personal anecdotal experience, they seem to align pretty well. Yeah, that's, that's what I've observed, but it's not hard and fast. 
there are exceptions, mm-hmm. but I think uh, in general, I see this. And uh, the phrase that got used in a later email, which we'll get to, use the term mental energy. Mm, okay. And we'll probably go into this a little more when we get to, to that email. But I also think it's important to decouple mental energy from attention capacity. Because I think okay. that while they can be aligned, they also can be very distinct. And then uh, Rider X Machina says, another time buzzer listener who wanted to chime in, it sounds like you have possibly undiagnosed ADHD and the time budget fits within executive dysfunction coping strategies. Okay. So Executive dysfunction. I, I looked at that briefly when it came up on the channel earlier this week or late last week and went down a rabbit trail. ADD. Yeah. So it's actually, I think probably several people diagnosed me as having ADHD and I will confirm, yes, I do have it. I actually have a formal diagnosis of it. It's been a long time since I've studied it. I just kind of have been living with it and figuring out what works for me best. But it sounds like maybe it's time for me to do a little more formal research into like executive dysfunction and strategies other people use because maybe there's things that I could be doing better. So DJ responded and he said that he probably has all kinds of undiagnosed issues that he muddles and powers through on a regular basis. And uh, Rider X Machina responded, you can definitely come up with ways to deal with your own shortcomings, but finding out, uh, let's see, but finding out what you have and then finding more strategies that help with productivity is something that can't be understated. He says they generally lead to better mental health and at least in his personal experience. And DJ responded that, yes, he also that he can't sometimes see the value in productive strategies until he's feeling stretched really thin without them. Um, and then once he improves the process, he then wishes he had done it sooner. That sounds really familiar. I do that too. Now for, for you, Jeff, I'm wondering, because when I hear people talk about productive strategies, I usually I'm hearing this in the terms of people wanting to take what time they have and be more productive with it. Hence productive strategies. Okay. To me, that doesn't really have anything to do with I have X amount of mental budget to use. Okay. But I so, wanted your, your take on that. I can make an analogy here. So if you are driving a person or a package a long way and you're going to be going through traffic, fortunately, you leave, you leave Dallas at 430 and you get caught up in all kinds of bad traffic. If the radio is just blaring really loudly and you get all, that, all those things to focus on, it's going to wear you down really quickly at least it wears me down really quickly so what i do is i turn off the radio and it doesn't really affect my skill at driving but it it reduces something that requires processing it reduces a distraction it reduces a whole bunch of things and lowers my stress level such that i can i can cope with traffic better since i don't have another source of stress coming in and then indirectly that means i can work longer or better my my skill is unaffected i'm still going to drive roughly the same way now if i if i if the radio's up loud and then there's the person in the backseat just talking and then there's the, the, the cell phones chiming, all those things coming in, then that actually does start to cause me to, to suffer and go down until really fast. So adding a lot of additional inputs is what causes the productivity to start to slide. So when I hear this or when I'm thinking of productivity strategies, to me, I'm interpreting that as ways to allow the brain function that works okay to have the best chance of success for doing so, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, I guess that's not the way I would have considered productive strategies okay. to be okay. defined. Well, I'd like to hear what you think then. What did you think it, what, what do you think it means? Well, okay. So productive strategies for me are, I mean, it's kind of like what's written on the tin. Okay. It's ways to be more productive, not right. 
ways to just like our, our distractions does it affect productivity yes it can but it doesn't have to and i guess for me that's a lot of this overarching issue is there's a lot of things that when this gets discussed that people couple together as oh well, these are exactly related and they can be absolutely but i don't think they necessarily are i mean okay. you know the the whole lo-fi thing is a perfect example of a background distraction that has actually some research to show that it actually does help you focus, even though it's technically a background distraction. And I don't know, for me, productivity strategies are about efficiency and getting, you know, quantity of work done. So I would look at things that lessen distractions. If they don't have an increase in efficiency or in the ability to then get more accomplished, I would then go, are they, are they, are they actually coupled? Like when you're driving home, the task is going to get accomplished whenever the task gets accomplished. You're not going to get home faster because you turn the radio down. Right. You may not be as mentally exhausted when you get home, but are, are you any more productive in that situation? Now, the argument could be made, well, when you get home, you might be more productive because you're more with it. Exactly. See, each thing is not in isolation. If I just consider the one thing, driving home, then a lot of things that I might do really, it's not, it's not going to make me go any faster because there's the, the fastest way to get home involves going through traffic on highway. There's just nothing I could do about that. And it was uh, before COVID when we were actually going into the office a lot, it was usually about 40 to 45 minutes to get home. And it didn't really matter which route I took. It was just luck, right? So there's not really a lot of productive strategies I can apply towards getting home faster. There's not much to do. That's within the boundaries of legality, right? But it's, it's very impactful, the next action. Or if I have to stop along the way to go somewhere and run an errand or something. Or choosing, now's a good time to run an errand because I'm frustrated by traffic, maybe I'll let it clear out. These are all things that, well, that would actually be anti-productive because it takes longer to get home. But these are the kinds of budgeting things that, that go through my mind. What is going to help me to be best overall? Mm-hmm. at the end of the day, given that I don't all know that was coming, right? So it's, it's a lot of it is not direct, like, oh, we could change it to a different domain here. You are building your strengths so that you can move rocks. I used that analogy before. You're moving rocks around. So you, build, you go to the gym and you work out, you build up your strengths, you can move bigger, heavier rocks. But if you're only focusing on, on lifting weights and not on your endurance, you're not going to be able to go longer on your shift. Maybe you'll be able to pick up heavier rocks. But you need to practice endurance too. So it seems like you're focusing on the, the ability to pick up a bigger rock. And I'm also thinking about how long can I do this for? Okay, so, so using that analogy, I would disagree. I would say my focus is entirely on the endurance factor of okay. going 24 hours or you know your waking period of time of 16 hours. Okay. And not saying... Oh, well, I can do a couple high intensity things, but then I need to sit on the couch for th- not saying that you're doing this, but figuratively saying, oh, I can do a couple things, but then I have to sit on the couch for three hours and do nothing. Like to me, that's the opposite of endurance because you're not able to go that 16 hours of waking doing things because you don't have the endurance. Like to me, that's an endurance thing, not a, you know, lift bigger, heavy rocks. Okay. So then. I don't have a good way to address that. I think it's okay. something I'll, I'll never be able to do 16 hours in a day just like that. That's not how I'm wired, and it's not 
a laziness thing. I've, I've tried. I literally have. And I, I will say I can do it in rare circumstances where there's practically no interruptions. I have a directly controlled environment. I have all the resources at my, at that I need to do the thing that I'm working on right in front of me. And I make arrangements at a time. Like I have lunch nearby and I have a soft drink so that when I stop at 3 PM, I have something to drink. I can do very long periods of work, but I have to very carefully control the circumstances. Whereas you don't have to do controlled circumstances to work 16 hours. It's just what you do. You have 16 hours in the day. Not really. Some is eating, some is toilet time, some is this or that, whatever. Yeah. But within those bounds, you're just able to do it without having to plan ahead, I guess, nearly as much as I. So there's a difference to be identified there, maybe. And the day that I do work 16 hours and I pull that off is going to be painful the next day because it feels like I'm burning the candle at both ends in order to achieve that. Right. I definitely can't do it day after day after day. Now, in a different work environment, with much simpler work, if, I, if my job was to stamp letters that came across my desk and move them onto the next desk, first of all, it bore me to tears. Let's say it pays like $200,000 a year, so I don't care how bored I am, I'm making $200,000. Who cares? I'll stamp all day long if that's what you want. So let's say that that's my job. I think that there's, in, in much simpler work, there's lots of things that can be done to increase my endurance to the point where I could do. 12, 14, 16 hours a day because the job itself is simplistic. So it's not fair to just say I can work 16 hours. We also have to be context, put it in the context of what am I working on? Mm -hmm. Right. So when I really stopped to investigate that about all the things I'm doing, when I'm trying to investigate, how can I make myself have more endurance for this thing? Almost always the things that I identify are something related to attention or interruption. Reduce those as much as possible, which does not help me achieve my goal of getting home faster. If someone calls me and I have hands free, I can answer the phone. It does not mean I go slower on the road. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to get home in the same amount of time. But because the call comes in now, whatever I was thinking about, maybe I have to think about something else. So, and and driving home is a little bit of a touchy subject too, because there's everybody's kind of irritated on the road in Dallas. I guess probably it's that way in every urban area, but it seems like people are really grouchy right around five to five forty-five in Dallas because there's literally nowhere you can go that's not full. There's too many cars, there's too many people living in an area, and they're too spread out. We don't really do public transportation well in Dallas, and so there's no other way to get to where you're going other than in a car going through all these arteries that are completely full. So that's probably slightly different experience than other people experience too. So in that context, driving home is maybe, maybe we should pick a different domain for additional study there. But it was, it's a good, it's a good uh, analogy for establishing some basic points here, which I think we're, I'm, I'm settling in now on the way I think about a thing or how I improve my ability to do it is much different than the way you think about a thing or how your ability to improve how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm starting to understand better how those differences are. This is why it's so valuable just to have discussions about this stuff. Right. Because yeah. I, need, I need the outside input. I need other people's viewpoints. So did I answer your question? Um, However many yeah. off the stack ago? Ish. Like, in many ways, I want to say not really. But in some ways, I would say, yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll circle back to it. So I'm sure we will, yeah. too. And I need to because it's now out of my memory. My, my working memory has voided that question. Yeah. So. So, I'll need to take another crack at it later. Uh, on the, the energy side of things, we got a, an email from Vicky. 
And she mentioned that she calls this mental energy, and she very, very much can sympathize. Uh, she strongly believes you have ADHD or something similar, and you are not lazy. It is a physiological limitation. You do, in fact, have finite resources here, and taking breaks is a common need. And she goes, I encourage Jeff, at least, to read this page. It is very informative and worth the read. And she gave us a link, which I will put in the show notes. So I, I want to be clear, because maybe I've sucked at explaining this. The, the point about you know taking breaks is a common need. I'm not saying you don't take breaks. Uh, I believe I even in that episode talked about how, you know, I read every day and I go walking every day. You know, those are things that I do, which you could classify as a break. And I schedule them in my daily routine because, well, A, it's healthy and B, uh, it's healthy uh, for, for you to have those things. <laughs> I'm going to guess what C is. Uh, it's also healthy. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's right. I'm so good at that. You know, I don't want to to people to get the idea that I'm saying that, you know, the, the moment I jump out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning, that it is, you know, a marathon all day long until I jump back into bed. That's that's not the way it works. No, I think the that, mental imagery that that evokes is quite amusing to me. OK, so sure. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I didn't mean to throw you no, off. It's there. OK, it's OK. So, again, I think the difference is. You know, when I'm talking about scheduling and, and what, what you're doing throughout your day, as, as I've mentioned, you know, yes, I take breaks. I think the difference is, though, and this comes back to the comments that I sort of made about the being lazy thing, is there's, okay, I know that I need to take breaks throughout the day and I need to relax. I get that. That's not a problem. I schedule that in. And I, I think I said in the episode, like, if you want to be lazy, for you know an hour during your day like that you have full rights to do that it that that's fine my concern that i would say is when a it becomes a habit where it's oh well i have to take this hour break every day because uh because i look at it and go no you, you don't have to you want to you don't you don't have to and again there's nothing wrong with wanting to there's nothing wrong with you know saying oh, i want to sit on my couch and watch TV and binge on thin mints. Um, you know, topical. Yeah. Topical. Mm. You know, it, it, I guess for me, it's just like, just be upfront about it. Like if that's what you want to do, don't use, and we'll get into this in a, in a later thing. Don't use the excuse of, and I'm not saying you do Jeff, yeah. but don't use the excuse of, Oh, I, I need to take a break because I'm drained. And that's why I'm going to sit around and do nothing. No, maybe you just want to sit around and do nothing. And that's okay. Just don't make a habit out of it is, is my thing. Okay. What, can, can you, do you have more on the thought or can I address hey, something real quick? Jump in. That's exactly what I do. I need to take a break and do nothing. And it's not because I'm being lazy. I, I need to. And, and so I know how, how it sounds and how it feels or comes across, but I, I know I, I, what I can do is I can switch tasks, but the task I switch to has to be of such low mental energy cost that it functionally it becomes being lazy. I can't go and read a book, even if it were like a light children's book, because I, I don't know how to read casually. I always read very deeply, right? I guess part of my problem is I don't know how to do anything lightly or casually. Everything I do, I'm like all in, and it comes at a cost. So I do literally have to stop sometimes and just be lazy. Now, I wanted to switch the domain a little bit real quick. You could make the case easily. You do need to eat. You don't need to stop and have a lunch break 
to eat, right? Would this be a somewhat of an analog to what you suggested? Just suggested. Um, well, how important is taking a break to eat versus just eating in the middle of your job? Okay, so it might be a surprise to people. I actually think it's a benefit to take a break to eat, so that you are focusing okay. on food. I think I'm trying to I'm trying to refrain from jumping onto another point you just made, but to use the food analogy, when you're hungry. You know, you eat food. You know what this reminds me of, actually, Jeff, is now for transparency for all the listeners, neither Jeff nor I have kids, but I know we have both been around kids in our lives before. So, you know, we know people that have kids. So we, we've we've seen some things we've we've observed. It, this reminds me when we're talking about the lazy argument of like the kid that goes to the kitchen and they're like, I'm going to I'm going to eat cookies. And they're like, well, parents like, well, what do you, you want to eat cookies for? Well, because I'm hungry. Oh, you're hungry. Oh, well, let me fix you some grilled cheese and some soup. No, 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 no. I'm hungry just for cookies. Like, oh, OK. So you're not really hungry. You just want cookies okay. and you're using the hungry as your excuse for why you should eat the cookies, because that's a good analogy. If you were like hungry, that. then you would want food, any food. Yes, we all love cookies. But a. We also know that if you just eat cookies, you're going to end up being sick later. So that's not a good solution. And it's also not healthy in general, because if you just eat cookies, you're not going to get the nutrients you need. Right. So for me, that's kind of where the uh, for me, I kind of blended into laziness because there's a big difference for me of doing something that is low impact, let's say, to recharge, to relax versus something that I would call uh, like a negative impact. Okay. Like sitting on the couch watching mindless stuff on the TV, for example, mm -hmm. uh, that is like, as far as I'm concerned, that's brain cancer. Like it, it is, it, it's horrible <laughs> for you. Like there are so many things you could do that aren't high impact that are still better for you. Like for instance, walking. Well, you don't have to go speed walking like you could just take a casual stroll around the block. And if, you know, it's 70 degrees outside, it's nice weather. You could just have a nice time walking around a, a local park in your area or, or whatever. Like right. there are things that you can do that actually is overall in life and actual positive. Like that's good for you. You get fresh air. You, it's yes, it's activity, but it will elevate your heart rate a little. It's going to be good for you. I mean, everybody should be walking more. That's just reality. Moving. Yeah, moving. Yeah. That's walking. Yeah. That's completely in a completely separate field than uh, I have to sit on the couch and stuff my face with ho hos while I watch TV because uh, I worked really hard today. That, like, I know I'm kind of exaggerating here, but I'm trying to hopefully get the point across of what I'm trying to right. express. Mm hmm. I think I'm getting a sense of it. And the thought that came to mind that kept coming up is taking a break. That's an incomplete statement. Take a break to do something else or take a break from something. It sounds like to me when you take a break, you take a break from one thing to do another thing. Well, That's you're always your doing schedule. something else. Not always. No. Not always. Sometimes I take a break from the task and I don't have anything that I'm breaking to. I'm just taking a break. So the, I'm just what are you sitting? What are you okay? So you're sitting. Are, are you thinking about anything? Probably. Okay. Maybe I spend some time uh, processing something that was been rattling around in the back of my head and is starting to poke through. 
And if I spend a little bit of time to think about it, then it won't interrupt me again. Okay. So but then that, I am taking a break to do something else. Yeah. That's, it's just not visible to somebody that's else. That's not doing nothing. You're actually accomplishing something. You're still doing something. Whether you want to call that, you know, thinking about whatever, if you want to call that meditation or whatever, it's still you are switching from doing one thing to doing another thing. Where, like with the TV, that okay. is something where somebody sits there and just absorbs what's coming in. Yeah. I see. I think that's incomplete too. It may be what it looks like from the outside. When I'm watching something, Almost always I have at least one or two other threads going, thinking about things. And I can't reconcile the fact that I can do this and also still have ADHD. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I'm never just Yeah, if you're watching. so high-functioning, then why do you have this problem? If you can do 15 things know. while you watch TV, then... Uh, I can't do 15 things. I can do a couple select things. Okay. Uh, here's an analogy. Hyper-threading. It's not two cores, but if you happen to have two different workloads, you can treat it like it's two cores. Mm -hmm. It's actually one core. And you can throw one floating point and one uh, integer instruction mathematical something through at the same time because they don't collide through the same uh, internal paths. So I'm watching TV and it's coming in and kind of roughly doing something over here. But I'm also thinking about something else that has nothing to do with the TV. Almost always. So this this has kind of illuminated the context for me to better understand maybe the word, def the word that comes to mind is defend against this lazy thing. I, I don't take a break to do nothing. What happens is I take a break to let the interrupts that have been demanding attention get satisfied and kind of think through things. And then I go back to it or I go on to the next thing or whatever. But I take those breaks. It looks like I'm just sitting there or maybe it looks like I'm staring at my phone, but really what I'm doing is thinking very deeply, almost always. So I, I, I don't actually watch much TV. And when I watch movies, I, I, if I'm just there to watch the movie, I find myself getting bored, actually. And I, that's probably a classic ADHD thing because it's like I, just the movie is not enough stimulation to satisfy what my brain is. So, but it's got 30, however many years of, of content to go back and pull from and investigate or, or news that I read recently or, or parsing something or whatever. There's always something going on, right? So what's visible to you and what's actually going on are not the same thing. Okay, that's true. But that kind of goes into what I was just talking about before with like, you know, you can go walking, you know, in a park at a, at a casual pace. Well, all that thinking that you're doing sitting on the couch, you can do while you're walking around the park as well. And I could to tie back to the analogy of you in the truck, you know, you turn down the radio to lessen the distractions so you can focus on what you're doing. So you're not as mentally burned out when you get home. But yet then you sit on the, the couch figuratively watching TV having tons of inputs that you're not really focusing on so you can actually try to focus on something else in your brain? Like, doesn't, isn't doesn't that a contradiction? It doesn't make sense at all. Well, trying to articulate it, especially someone who doesn't experience it, it's, it's very difficult. I need enough input. Actually, so let's go a different route. The classic medication for ADHD is a stimulant. Mm -hmm. Not a depressive, not something that slows you down, but it speeds you up. Why does that work? Because I, I don't fully understand the mechanisms there, but it's it's like we need we need enough stimulation, enough thinking to be satisfied. But at the same time, so why I don't go take a walk? Because if I'm actually trying to recover briefly, and I'm trying to deal with some interrupting thoughts, if I'm going out walking, there's a hundred things that I'm observing. You recall when we were talking to Keith, and the episode I stated that there's like a thousand storylines around you at every moment in time. All you got to do is pay attention 
to the ones you find important. What happens if you find 400 of those thousand things fascinating? Your brain wants to go and check all of them out. So every time I go walking, I'm not just walking. It's not just, okay, left foot, right left, left foot, right foot. That's not what it is. I'm ingesting things from the world. There's, there's a, a dog here walking on the opposite side of the street that wasn't there before. I wonder what type of dog. It just it goes on and on and on and on and on. I'm, it's, it's a parade of new input. So by choosing to sit on the couch in an environment which is very understood, usually when I'm doing this, I don't, I don't have a TV on. I actually, I'll just go sit sometimes. You could, maybe it looks like I'm just sitting. Maybe, maybe it would be considered meditation. But it's a controlled environment where I know there will be few additional interrupts to deal with. I don't know how long it's going to take for me to deal with these interrupting thoughts that are already in my head, but I don't want to inject more because then that'll just elongate how long I'm having to take this break. That's why not the walk. Now, I, I want to go walking and sometimes I just say, well, I don't know what's going on, but I need to go take a walk. So let's go do it. And especially if, if I'm going the same route over and over again at roughly the same day, that reduces the number of new storylines. There's always going to be new stuff because it's an uncontrolled environment, but it reduces the number, right? But there's still additional input, additional facts to consider, additional data to recover, to store. So that's why I don't go take a break walking. Though I can, and I try, I'm trying to do so more often. Because uh, I've also learned I'm part solar cell. If I get out and get in the sun, I just feel better overall. And vitamin D is uh, a hell of a drug. It is. I actually take a vitamin D supplement every day. And I shudder to think of what it would be like if I did not. I've been doing that for six or seven years. So on the yeah. ADHD front and medication, so I, obviously I do not have a degree in neuropharmacology. Uh, my understanding of it, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, is the, actually the reason that it works is because, it is not the way people assume that it works. People assume that ADHD is because you're super, you're super hyper, but in the brain it's actually like the inverse where the connections aren't sustained between neurons long enough for the actual signal to be, you know, like completely fully passed along. Okay. So that then causes, you know, sporadic thought processes because the actual ability to think intensely is dampened because of the lower rate of good signal. So what the stimulants do is they actually bump up the that neurotransmitter function process okay. so that the signals between neurons become stronger and last longer, thus allowing you then to be able to have thong, uh, sustained longer depth thought. Okay. So like if, if, if I'm transmitting a message wirelessly from a uh, sender to a receiver, mm -hmm. there's lots of interference in the ear at all times. Mm -hmm. This is effectively boosting the strength of the signal such that all the message is going has a much like higher likelihood of getting there, such that yeah, a, because a, if, I, if my boost it above the noise, yeah, floor. if my receptor is not very strong, it's if I have a weak receptor, you know, you can be putting out. If we had both good, you know, good transmitter and good receiver, we would be getting a good strong signal, and I could get all your all your information, all your data, signal, whatever. But if my receptor is really low powered. It's not that the, the transmitter is doing anything wrong. It's that the signal can't get through and I get enough fidelity to actually then be able to do something with it. So what the drugs do is, yeah, it's like an amplifier to amplify the signal to then deal with the fact that my gain on my receiver is lower. Okay. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I like that a lot. 
that's that's a really good way to understand that. So now, that makes sense. That's that's my understanding from when I looked into it years ago when I was in the medical field. Uh, if there is a neuropharmacologist who is listening to this podcast, uh, holler at your boy. Uh, Maybe there wasn't, <laughs> but there might after this episode. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Let us know. Or if you have any friends who happen to be neuropharmacologists, because those are just hanging off trees. Yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah, they're all over the place. Tell them to, tell them to contact us, because we, we have questions. I have questions. Yeah. So, okay, speaking of distractions, uh, we had another uh, message in about this episode on the social media topic. Okay. And Mark wanted to disagree with me when I said social media was bad and you shouldn't use it. And his response was, I disagree. It can be great. Uh, succinct, a man of many words, Mark is. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, my, my response would be, yes, it can be beneficial. But I think more often than not, it's not beneficial. I think it's one of the things like, in used in moderation, it can be a great thing. But when overdone is, is a bad thing. And I, I sincerely doubt that there has ever been a person who, when you know, they're looking back on their life, they think, man, before I die, I wish I spent more time on Twitter. Like, I doubt I'm that's going to happen. I'm going to disagree with you there. I'm going to disagree. And here's why. Because there's, there's the dopamine hit from getting likes, followers. And people wouldn't say, I wish I'd spent more time on Twitter. But they might say, I wish I'd gotten more likes for that post I spent a lot of time on. or where I, that time when I went to Alaska, I took all those pictures and I got lots of people following. I wish I'd gotten more. Okay, so you're not disagreeing dopamine. with me. I'm... Yes and no. So no. Okay, so moving along. Moving along, The yeah. The next comment was about the lazy thing that I said. Okay. And uh, this person says that I was that person up until about four years ago. Tired all the time. I was stressed. Couldn't focus on getting things done. I started exercising and being strict with my schedule. Life is so much better now. I feel so much more alive. I'm still amazed at how much energy I have. My enthusiasm for life is intense. I wish I hadn't lost so much time trying to justify bad behaviors to myself. I wonder where I would have gotten in life had I done this a decade earlier. Yeah, no, that's, I have the same experience. When I am being rigorous about my schedule, it means I'm going to bed at a reasonable time. It means I'm eating clean or cleaner. It means I'm actually going to work out regularly. Life is a whole lot better. And I, it's happened a lot of times to me where I'm like, what happened that I slipped out of these habits? What's causing that? And I have to sit there and investigate it. And invariably, I arrive at ADHD things or interruption things or emotional distress things. So I'm in agreement with him. It's like a constant battle for me to keep the habits once I've built them. And... So like I've been moving the last, moving is exhausting, especially when you got a whole house worth of stuff. So moving, it's been weighing very heavily. I mean, getting everything moved, getting all catalog. Like now it's, a, you know, there's some stuff in storage, but like, well, some of it's at the back. I can't get to it, but I really need that. So now I'm going to flip it all around. Anyway, the, the move forced me to get out of my habits and I immediately started feeling worse. So there's definitely the, the schedule, I call it schedule hygiene and the, I guess the, the food hygiene. And related to that, also the, the exercise hygiene. If, you, if you're able to kind of keep a good lid on all three, life is a lot better. Life is a lot simpler. It's the rising tide that lifts all the boats. And uh, that's why it's, it's really... So the classic thing for, oh, I'm depressed, someone's like, well, go outside. Go take a walk outside. Take a break, go outside, go get some sun. Because you're helping to kickstart that process. Or, or for a multitude of things, you're feeling sad. Go Go... Work out, go walk, because the endorphins will help you to feel better, regardless of how emotional you're feeling. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel physically 
better mentally, well, not physically better. Mentally, you're going to feel better because the brain chemistry is causing you to do so. And it's just a thing. That's just the way it is. So knowing this, if I can stay focused on that, well, if anybody can stay focused on that, their lives will be better. So it's, it's those times when, like, I'm moving and I can't focus on working out. I haven't been to the gym in, like, three weeks because I've been so busy trying to get all the stuff in the move finished and tidied up. And I'm really regretting it because I can feel that I haven't been going. I can, I can feel the, the drop off in energy. So I'm looking forward to the next week or two. I'll finally have a lot of stuff cleared out and I'll be able to start going again. So, okay, so this is my question for you then. If, if you know that, you know, working out and, you know, health stuff is important, why are you putting other things as a priority and dropping the health things when you know that the health things are going to affect you negatively? Okay. Well, it's That's, difficult and, to answer that in general. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep it general because I'm not, you know, trying to dig into your... your into yeah. things. So, so let's, let's use the move as an example. I, I had, it was a death march to get everything packed in time to get the movers to get out of the house in time. So I didn't have much choice on that respect. And that one, I just, I just had to do what I was doing. I was over there every four or five hours just packing. You know, just packing stuff up, getting into boxes or whatever, getting it ready so that the, the movers could do the bulk or the, the heavy lifting stuff, but to, just to get it all arranged and packing. And I, I was, a, in former life, I was somewhat of a pack rat, so I had a lot of junk to go through. So that made it much worse, too. I had no choice. I had to get this done in a timeline, and that meant I was taking time that I normally would spend on making meals, going to the gym, doing those hygienic things that I was doing before, I did not have time to do them anymore because now I had to divert all of my energy towards all my extra energy outside of work towards moving. So, so that's so, an easy context to describe. Okay, so my follow-up question is, does this then relate to your unhealthy work-life balance and the fact that you work more than you should and aren't giving yourself the appropriate time for yourself? That's a lot in that statement. Yeah, yeah, it I, is, Jeff. I just, I just like to work, frankly. I like my job. I like what I do. And so I work a lot. All right, but your work isn't your life. And if you're working more than you are required to, such that you don't have time to then do things that are healthy, what sense does that make? Well, some of it is also that the work that I do at this, the job I have right now it is it's costly mentally, lots of mental energy. Not to try and cop out here, but literally it, it takes me, I, I spend a lot of mental, mental energy getting through my day and doing all the things that are required. And then at the end of the day, I don't have a lot of mental energy left over. But then over. doesn't that reinforce what I'm saying? It does. Because if, it, if it's high-intensity mental energy, well, then what, what would happen if you did eight hours of that instead of 12 hours of that? Would, I'm not doing 12 hours a day. Energy? Yes, I would. I don't... I, say, I think you, you think I work a lot more than I do. Um, I do. I think you work a lot more than you would like to admit that you do. Maybe. Because I know there's yeah, been maybe. days on the weekend where I've talked to you in the morning and then I've talked to you in the evening and it's been the weekend and you've stated that you've been working all day and I can look at the clock and go, huh, that was 14 hours. I guess I got locked in. And yeah, well, okay. when I, so when, I, when I'm cruising on something and I'm doing a really good job, I'm like, this is amazing. Don't stop. Right. Keep going. Right. But then I'm, I'm making so much progress on all these things I want to do, especially in a weekend. Like there's no one really interrupting. Right. So you're then taking off time during the week to counteract all the time you worked on your time off so that you can then take care of yourself. Right. So this is this, you're going to hate this even more. I've actually taken PTO days so I could work uninterrupted. You're going to love that. Jeff. I've gotten the most work done possible 
on PTO. Jeff? And I loved, I adored it. Jeff? I got so much done. Yes? Stop it. No. We'll talk more about this in another episode. Yes, we will. Uh, anyway, no, sure moving along. Um, uh, someone else wants me to stop calling people lazy because that's what assholes do. That's, that's what they said. thought we had a discussion about JT being an asshole before. Uh, we had, and it keeps coming back up. It will probably always keep coming back up, which, you know, I guess that's okay. And then on the flip side, though, Tom asked if I do life coaching or I have a self-growth podcast. <laughs> uh, no, to both. You're so inspirational, I, uh, I don't do either. Um, I don't know that I would be a very good life coach because I'm pretty forward on things. I think that makes you a very good life coach. That's, that's, oh, okay. The better life coaches are just, doesn't matter what kind of crap people say. It's like, well, stop well, it. I mean, if anybody wants to pay me to call them on their BS... Just reach out. I will. What do you th- What do you think we're doing here in this episode? <laughs> right. Yeah. Seriously, oh, I'm getting. Free. So wait, how much am I getting paid? Nothing. Oh, you're man. getting exposure, right? I need to talk to my accountant. <laughs> something's, something's wrong here. <laughs> That's right. You get so much exposure on social media for this. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and then we got a substantial email in from Sandy. And this one's, ah, yes. one's kind of long, so I think, Jeff, I will have you read what she wrote in, and then I will read what my response to her was, and then you can give us uh, your thoughts on what she said and what I said, and then we'll go on to the next segment. So we'll kind of break it down into little chunks. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so it starts off with, hey, Jeff, and JT and Jeff. She put your name first. Yep, and I said, hey to you too. Thanks for the podcast. I've really enjoyed the broad scope of topics covered and how open the two of you are to engaging in conversations that may not necessarily fall within your belief of a subject. Very refreshing. And I replied, I'm glad that you enjoyed the show. I've been involved in a lot of podcast shows over the years, going on nine now, I think. Uh, everyone, uh, let, me, let me try that sentence again. Uh, everyone has been pretty structured and focused. So when I first brought this idea up to Jeff, uh, I really wanted to be a lot more open-ended and broad. And we'll go where we go. And hopefully people will enjoy the ride. I hope so too. So Sandy then continues, I'm writing in specifically regarding episode 49, Jeff's attention budget. And apologies if this is all over the place. I'm not a wordsmith in any shape or form. And I responded, no apologies needed. Uh, If you haven't figured out, Jeff and I wander in topics as well. You're in good company, Sandy. So then she starts diving into some uh, deeper parts of it. She writes, I relate to Jeff here, though we have obvious differences. I very much have a budget for attention, and I feel like I don't have full control over the budget either. The budget changes every day, and it can be spent by things that have nothing to do with what I want to do. A simple noise outside can completely draw my attention away from what I'm doing, and it can be hard to get back on track. As someone who is diagnosed with ADHD at 28, six years ago, what Jeff is talking about sounds like it falls within this spectrum, but I am not a mental health professional, not even on TV. ADHD has a hell of a rap. Those diagnosed or those seeking diagnosis can be deemed lazy, drug-seeking, not willing to just try harder. All of these stereotypes, like many others, cause harm to those folks, and they trickle down to all parts of life where you're seen as not contributing like others, but it's tough to work through. And I responded, totally agree and understand. Like most things in life, it's the people acting in bad faith that ruin it for everyone. For every person who is seeking meds because of their struggles, there's another who's doing it just for the drugs. Um, a personal anecdote that's related. I have friends from when I was in the Air Force that have really bad PTSD because of what they dealt with in the service. Sadly, the mental health field 
and then in air quotes, in general, hasn't made great strides with dealing with it because there are so many people claiming to have PTSD because they're upset about something in their life. I know people that have claimed to have PTSD because they got let from, go from a job once in their life. Another claim that they had PTSD because they lost their phone one day on the subway. The situations that those people dealt with don't pass the bar for PTSD. Generally, it has to be moderate intensity for a very long time or very high intensity for a very short time. And God help you if it's very high intensity for a very long time. But the fact is, losing your phone ain't it. The meaning of PTSD and the understanding of it and just understanding how immobilizing it is has been completely lost because there are so many people who use it as an excuse for their behavior or something else going on in their life. And I think the same kind of generally happens with more common conditions like ADHD. I've seen this in other areas of mental health as well. There are tons of people who are legitimately suffering who either A, are unable to get proper treatment because they aren't taken seriously, B, unable to get proper treatment because all of the resources are being directed to people who don't actually need them, or C, are not believed because there are so many faking it. I think that's why generally there are so many people skeptical when someone makes a claim. I know for myself, I think the first instinct is, as the meme goes, press X to doubt. When someone first claims <laughs> that they have some mental condition, I, I, it's a sad reality, but I mean, I'd venture that probably 90% of the time that someone has claimed something along those lines to me, it's ended up not to be true. And I don't like that it's turned to be skeptical, but I feel it's necessary. It's a necessary evil until I can determine who is legit and genuinely in need of extra compassion. I only have so much compassion and effort to give out. I want to make sure it goes to those that truly need it. And to be honest, I don't really know what the solution is to all this. In any large enough population, we're going to run into these problems. And sadly, it is the people with the most genuine need that suffer the most as a result. As long as there are people without ADHD, for instance, who are using it as an excuse to hand wave away their behavior, those who genuinely deal with it are going to have to deal with those stereotypes. Oh, there's a lot to unpack on there. Yeah. So I'm going to... Return up to Sandy's original statements. I very much have an attention for budget, and I feel like I don't have full control over the budget either. That is me to a T. That, that's, that's exactly it. So there was a, some comment somewhere about planning ahead for a volcano or something. I was just using that as an example. Like I have no idea what interrupts are going to come in a day. I don't know if someone's going to call or text or, or expect something. Synchronous communications specifically are just really, they just destroy the budget. And the budget changes every day. She writes, the budget changes every day and it can be spent by things that have nothing to do with what I want to do. If someone calls me, I have to stop and handle it. That's actually why I prefer chat or, or telegram or something that is asynchronous because it lets me come back and address this thing that's been said to me or said in the shared chat room at the time in which I'm able to process it, not stop what you're doing and process it right now. Because that's very costly. And I imagine it seems like Sandy has something similar. A simple noise outside can completely draw my attention away from what I'm doing, and it can be hard to get back on track. Yep. Me too. Me too. That's why I have to be careful on noise control. And you'll find I try to eliminate squeaks and rattles when I'm doing something that requires thinking or precision. Because any sound at all, who knows what it could be? I don't know if it's... It, Maybe the sound of a dog barking every day is fine, but the one day I'm trying to think about something else, the dog, all of a sudden it's poking through. And that's ADHD for you. 
It just, it's just one of the challenges we have. It doesn't look like it makes any sense at all. Like you didn't care about that rattle before. Now you care about it. What's changed? I don't know. Other than I know that that rattle is now preventing me from finishing my thought. I also really liked your, your response here. And there's a, I kind of feel similarly about anyone who makes a claim of mental illness. I, I just have to start from a, from a seat of skepticism. I'm not about to go look up their records. I couldn't, you know, HIPAA says I can't go look at their health records. There's nothing I could do to val validate whether they have what they say they do. At the end of the day, there's a trust thing. But there are certain features that I expect to see in someone who has this mental illness or that mental illness or that condition. And if I don't see the fruits, it's not the right word. The expressions of that mental illness in the what I'm expecting to see, my immediate thought is, well, no, you don't. But I'm probably not going to say that. Instead, what I'm going to do is instead find a way to wind the conversation down quickly and just not talk to you again. Because at that point, you're, to me, lying about something so crucial to defining who you are. And now, because I, I have made my own judgments, I don't see evidence of you having this thing. Therefore, that calls the truthiness of what you're saying for everything else into question. Yeah, and it's also, for me, it's really grimy manipulation of, yeah. well, you know, don't judge me or don't criticize the fact that I behaved in this way because I have this get-out-of-jail-free card that I can flash in your face that you can't deny. It gets used like that, it gets yeah. used like that a lot. And it's like, look, like, for instance, as we have talked about in this episode, you know, and the other one, like, if you want to be lazy, you can be lazy. I'm just asking you to be honest about it. Now, I'm not saying that you are being dishonest about it, but, like, in general, like, I don't know, just just own whatever is, is kind of the stance that I take. Well, I take the approach of I don't have to justify myself to you at all. If I actually, I use the fact that someone feels like they must justify themselves as evidence that there's something funny afoot. Someone who's, no, okay, I've got this problem. I have to go do this thing. And I don't care if you like it or not, or if you believe me or not, I'm going to go do this thing, whether you like it or not. It's not manipulative. It's not anything at all to do with you. It's just, this is what I need to do. And so when someone just goes and quietly does the thing they need to, like a diabetic, mm -hmm. type one diabetic who must take their blood sugar regularly. I mean, back in the nineties, you had to prick your finger all the time. We now have these wonderful devices where you just hold your phone near your arm or wherever the little device is. And it tells you. That's an amazing well, improvement. Well, that's because the but, prick is permanently in you on the patch. But right, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Right. Oh, there's so many ways that phrase could be taken. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. But to someone who's diabetic, time, they need to stop our conversations. They can go get their little diabetic blood mm -hmm. sugar measuring device and go through this process. It's like, okay, I don't hold it against you. You don't have any control over this. You're diabetic. You clearly, I mean, you have, this is physical evidence that you have diabetes. Uh, diabetes there's usually not direct physical evidence of someone has a mental condition or trauma of some kind sometimes there is but often it's not obvious right on the surface so all we have are what we observe and what someone tells us right but like and, on the diabetic thing since you bring it up you know if somebody's like you know excuse me i gotta go check my blood sugar and they walk out of the room okay and if you know you see them with the little pouch you're gonna be okay they're doing their thing that they got to do if they want to make a big production about, oh, I've got to go do this because I have really low blood sugar and let me, and you know, it's this big, you know, charade. And it's like, dude, just go check your blood sugar. Like, do what you got to do. Why are yeah. you trying to put all this fanfare around why you need to do something that 
is not really a big deal. Yeah, it's not to be celebrated. It's just a thing. Just go get your shit done and come yeah. back. Take care of it. So that's easy to describe for a diabetic. What about someone who's like a depressive who needs to go take a break from the situation because it's causing them anguish or something? And it's impossible for us to know from the outside that this is causing them unless they vocalize it. And then you have to choose to believe them or not. Like if I know someone is a diagnosis of depression, I'm going to be like really careful around them. If I see that they're starting to drag or starting to show some side effects, I'm, okay, well, we need to stop here. Do I need to, whatever, be supportive. If I don't know they're depressive, or they've got a diagnosis of major depressive disorder or whatever. Pick pick one out of the hat. Any one of those. If I don't know that, and it just may not look from the outside, it may look like they're just wanting to go off and be lazy by themselves. I don't know. There's just no way to tell. I don't want, I can't retain the details of everybody's life around me. I don't have the working memory for that, and I don't want to catalog all those details. I don't feel like I should have to. I shouldn't also... In certain social media circles, you you kind of have an expectation that everybody's got something. You just need to appreciate that we've all got something, and you just need to assume that whatever's. It's, it's difficult to articulate that actually, but it seems like a lot of social media, certain sections of it, are, are they're coming from the point of everybody's got something, and be sensitive to that, and modify your behavior to be sensitive to the fact that they have something. And that to me feels like a degree of control. That is using mental conditions and mental illnesses that may or may not be legitimate as a method of manipulating me. I don't like that at all. So those are the parts of social media that I stay well clear of because it would just piss me off. And I would say lots of things that would, well, I'd get banned immediately pretty much. So I just yeah. go ahead and do the preemptive thing and never go there anyway. So if I stumble onto that part of the internet, I leave. If I know someone legitimately has you know an issue or is struggling with something, like I've got all the sympathy in the world for them and I'm willing to to help them out. But there are people that when they find out they can use something as a club or a stick to manipulate people for their benefit for whatever reason, like, no, nah, that ain't cool. And, yeah. and that's that's exactly what you're addressing yeah. here in, in response to. And I, I that's and a society that was built on honesty, I think would have much less of that. But um I don't actually know how you build a society built rooted in honesty in today's world. I don't know how you take an existing society that is not rooted in honesty and then convert it to one. Yeah. I don't see a path forward. Just like I don't see a path forward from any existing society into workable communism. It just there's no there's no way to get to there from here. If you're already there, then you could stay there and supposedly in such a such a situation, it would be a utopia of some kind. But there's no way for us as humans to get to a communist situation that is in steady state functional. It's just not going to happen. So I don't actually know where I'm going with that. So I'm just going to kind of drop that one like it's hot and let's go on to... Well, actually, you, you brought up the volcano thing, which I forgot to read. So we're going to jump back to that oh. message. Um, okay. And then we'll okay. jump back to Sandy. So you, you had mentioned about okay. in the episode about, you know, worrying about Yellowstone. And so somebody mm -hmm. wrote in and went, hold up. Jeff is budgeting effort in case he has to deal with a one in a million or a billion possibility of something catastrophic. Well, how does that make sense? Risk management is all about understanding the effort that should be put towards dealing with that risk. In business, if you know getting screwed will cost you $10 million, but the likelihood is 1%, it really only makes sense to spend 100 k on insurance, because any more than that, you're not improving your odds and you're just wasting resources. Jeff, why are you letting other things in your life be unaddressed, and in quotes, just in case, Something insane happens, like a super volcano, which you're going to die from anyway. If Yellowstone goes off, every human will die. Scientists have 
said it's a ELE, so an extinction level event. But assuming that was a bad example, if something is a one in a million or one in a billion possibility, why are you wasting time so you can be prepared for that? Uh, be prepared for that. Are you prepared for the and every other possibility that is far more likely in your life? Were you prepared for Dallas to freeze? Do you have food on hand for a few months? Do you have money on hand for a few months? Do you have a bug out location available um, in case you need to flee? Um, all of those things are more likely than the one in a million type events you referenced. All valid points. So let me address the, the context in which he's sitting a lot of these things. I probably shouldn't have plucked the volcano out. I was picking hyper hyperbole for, for the sake of the discussion. It was probably a bad okay. move. Somebody took you I'm literally. saving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm saving room in my budget for interruptions that I have no idea are coming or things that I think might be coming, but I don't know. So I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if someone's going to call and say, oh my gosh, you know, your sister's in the hospital. We got to go now. Again, that's another unlikely possibility, but, or maybe it's like a, someone calls and says, we got to move my truck real quick. Can you come over and help? Something like that. I, I just don't know what interrupts are going to be coming in. So I'm trying to leave some in the budget for those interrupts, which I can't plan for, but I know we can model it statistically, but it's, it's, I'm, I can't know when someone's going to call with any certainty. So let's go back to the, the volcano thing. Assuming that was a bad example, why are you wasting time so you can be prepared for that? This question, were you prepared for the Dallas freeze? Partially. Less prepared than I would like. I have done a lot of thinking about that very thing. Not, not being frozen solid, that was a bit much, but in, in an, event, an event where you couldn't get out your house, like when I first started hearing about the freeze, one of the first things I did was I went and filled a bathtub with water. So that in case our pipes froze and we had no water, we still had drinking water to, to drink from and to use to cook and maybe even clean things a little bit. I would have liked to have food on hand for a few months, but that's not part of my disaster thesis yet. I don't have room. I'm not up to that scale yet. Do you have money on hand for I a few I also think months? if it gets to that point, your plan is just to, to get in your truck and come to my place because you know I, I do prepare yeah. that way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You literally have how many months of chili or well, had how many None, because I want no one that's listening to this podcast to have any idea about any preparations I may have. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't have any chili. Nope. He never eats it. Not at all. No, but um, I do think about such things sometimes. Going back to this, if you know getting screwed would cost you $10 million, but the likelihood is 1%. Well, what if $10 million dwarfs your yearly income by 30 or 50 or 100 10 million dollars might as well be getting to the moon well i think that's it why is, he said insurance well, okay what is a hundred thousand dollars of insurance going to do to help you in that situation well, it would pay the 10 million dollars are you so, so he's saying spend no more than a hundred thousand dollars on getting insurance to cover the 10 I, million i think dollars. that's what he's what he's referring to okay that makes a little more sense then are there when you're doing these kind of like in computer security too, this is a, an exercise. There are some events that you have to plan for that they seem, may seem small, but this would end the company. For instance, code spaces. Four or five years ago, or however long that was, somebody got in and they, had, they were using one vendor, Amazon for everything, and somebody got into their account and they ended up deleting all the backups and code spaces just literally, they lost everything because they hadn't thought ahead. We should try and be vendor agnostic in our backups and have a second site somewhere else. They thought, hey, Amazon has, spreads out our backups for us. It'd be great. They didn't think about all of it was accessible from one control panel. This is a thing that will end your company. However many millions or billions of dollars you make a year, company, just gone, because all the data is gone. 
So that's the kind of thing where either you accept that that's possible at any moment in time, or you try and do something to deal with it. And yeah, you may end up spending what seems like more resources than would be useful, or maybe you're throwing away resources at it, but it could end your company. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that I, I don't worry about them, but I, I'm cognizant of those things in my life. And that's kind of was informing my, how I prepare for these disaster events. So like, I do have a bug out bag. I'm not going to tell any more about it than that. I do have a bug out location. It, it's probably packed uh, with thin things. Like that. Just saying. No, actually, no. Remember, tagalongs. I'm a tagalongs oh, right, guy. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I think we've, we've largely addressed that feedback. Okay. I think it's, we should probably return to Sandy's before this runs entirely too yep. much longer. Go for it. She writes Personally, I am on medication as I was at the level where I couldn't read more than a paragraph without getting up and doing something unrelated, which isn't great when trying to read anything. Dropped out of school and college due to problems like this. Medication doesn't need to be the answer for everyone. It doesn't magically take all of the problems away or even bring you close to whatever normal is. Being aware of ADHD and neurodiversity traits alone can help shape your appreciation for yourself and figure out what works for you and not what seemingly works for everyone else. And I responded that I was glad that she was able to get treatment. And my personal take is that life is complex. Sometimes medication is the answer. Sometimes it's life changes. Sometimes it takes both. I don't think there's a single fix that works for everyone in every case. So I'll share for, for me, I really don't want to be medicated if I can help it. So I do, I went out of my way to try all the other strategies to, to reduce interrupts to, to make life easy to handle, easier to handle, able to be handled uh, uh, with an ADHD brain. So medicine for me is the, the fallback position when nothing else seems to be working. That's my approach. I know other people were like, ooh, bring on the meds. Let's go. So that's different people, different strokes. And sometimes medication does help. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it's different from person to person. I think it's wise. Sandy's staying here, just being aware of neurodiversity traits. I really like that. And she's saying alone, being uh, aware of a neurodiversity traits alone can help shape your appreciation for yourself. This is very true for me. Learning more about ADHD and what it does to me, what the average ADHD person struggles through, just being aware of that. Then also being aware of what a neurotypical person would go through. The, the difference is it really helps me to identify where I need to do things differently. So I really like that a lot. Okay, so the next, uh, next section. For example, working from home over the pandemic has been really reaffirmed that I need a bare bones, locked down environment around me. Something that isn't compatible with my fiance and I both working from the living room next to a busy street and having all sorts of easy to grab distractions like guitars, computers, other hobbies. This is unlike at work. Medication can help draw my attention back a bit, but it's not going to fix that problem. That's a need more money for a bigger home in the countryside problem. And I responded, well, depending on where in the countryside you're looking, it doesn't always require a lot more money. I used to live in the Baltimore, D.C. metro area, and I moved three hours away. So still close enough to get back to the hustle and bustle when I need, but far enough away that it's quiet and serene. Uh, before the spike in real estate prices over the past year, I would see... Homes greater than 2,000 square feet with half an acre of property sell for under 100K around me. There are plenty of places out there off the beaten path that can offer a lot to someone 
for not anywhere near as much as what it would cost to live in the suburbs. So long as your work actually allows you to work remote. That's one of the positives to come out of the whole COVID thing. This democratization of where are you working from? If you don't have to go into the office every day, you can work from wherever works best for you. And I hope uh, Sandy is, her fans here are able to save up and get a place that's more suitable. Assuming that working from home is the new normal. And I've had this same problem that she has. I actually have, around where I work, I have nothing. I have no hobbies, no anything. Trying to get them all like in a different room. And I, I can get away with that because of my current living situation. And it's pretty much the only way I can work from home effectively. Before the move, I was working out of the study. And let me tell you, there was about a thousand things in there to distract me. And that didn't go so well. Oh, so, so you would not be able to uh, handle the my office then? No. No, working in your office would be very challenging for me. For those that don't know, my office is kind of insane. Um, it's a museum. It, it's also a funhouse, <laughs> and it's it's a candy store, all rolled into one. Yeah, if if you like technology and old stuff, you would uh, you would have a lot of fun here. And I do love both of those things. So it's a it's a great place for me to spend time in if I have nothing to get done. <laughs> when I have something to achieve, I can't be in there. Yeah, because there's a distraction everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you, every, every corner, everything is not just a distraction, but you could dive in hours on that one distraction. It is, it is a distractathon. I've just sat in that room for hours, just looking at stuff, just thinking, it's like, wow, look at that. Look at that. Yep. Right. So returning back to Sandy's missive, she writes, as I touched above, a big change for me is walking the path of not comparing myself to others and their output. I still get annoyed at myself, though. I need to be aware that I'll burn out if I see too many people throughout the week without a day or two gap between. Me too, Sandy. If I don't have an hour or two to myself in the morning, I'm going to struggle throughout the day. Also, me. Even though I am on medication, I may still struggle to focus on reading something, especially if it's something that doesn't spark joy. Yep. Sometimes I can only work in 25-minute bursts, stepping away for a couple minutes before tackling work again. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the, that has reduced since I've got a more interrupt-free room now. Or distraction-free room. And our last point in this list, I may sit down for nine hours straight, working without considering eating or drinking and seem super productive. Yep, done that. And I actually, I, I don't look forward to those times, but I cherish them when I have them because I actually finally make progress on a lot of things that I've wanted to. So on her first point about not comparing um, herself to others, this is generally something that I think really, really should be talked about more. Uh, comparing yourself to someone else is generally not that effective or helpful. There's so many differences between individuals and starting conditions that it never ends up to be a good measure. You know, good old data science truth, bad data in equals bad data out. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just science, yeah. not just data science. Uh, I mean, I generally recommend that if people are going to compare themselves to someone, they compare themselves to who they were earlier in their life. And are you a better person? Have you learned more? Have you accomplished more? Are your abilities greater than they were before? If the answer is yes, then you're on the right path. It, it's not, and it's, it's important not to get lost in the details, but to look at the general trend and direction. Hmm. So reading that, or listening to you say it, Comparing myself to my current person to someone younger than. Let me go back and re-grab this thought here. 
comparing my current self to my past self at some point. And at first I was like, yeah, that's a good idea because that's, that's a fair measure. And then the second thought is, well, all of these things you're suggesting, all of them are true all the time. It's true if I go back and compare myself to yesterday. I have to do very short lengthy comparisons, like earlier today, for me not to have achieved most or all of these things in your little list here. Have you learned more? I'm always learning because I'm always studying everything around me and learning from it. Have I accomplished more? Yeah. Uh, I consider making it through my day a big accomplishment. Just, just being somewhat pretending like I'm neurotypical or making it look like I'm neurotypical, getting through my day is a big accomplishment to me. And are your abilities greater than what they were before? Yes, almost always. And that relates back to I'm studying around me and learning more. So it's difficult for me to say, yeah, it's a good comparison because it kind of feels like a cop out. So then the next thing I have to do is like, well, let's try and chart a trajectory. What would a, a normal functional person be like? And then are you above or below that? Because then that's how my mind works. So I just take it and go to the next level of meta. And then it becomes a whole horrible mess. And I'd be like, just have to stop. So in general, I just don't compare myself to people at all because otherwise it's not going to end well well it's also i mean because people obviously they want to feel like they're getting somewhere in life that they're you know becoming more competent that they're growing up they're becoming smarter and there's usually there's two directions that this gets taken one is when they compare themselves to people that are just phenomenal and have done way better than them and then they feel like crap about themselves or B, they compare themselves to like the people on Jerry Springer and go, oh, well, look, I got my life all together because look at those people. And it's like, okay, th- those, are, those are two extremes. Um, you need to chart the, the mean here. And again, it, there's still other people. Like what, where they came from, what path they've been on is going to be completely different to yours. So it's not really a fair analysis. And I mean, the whole right. point of doing it is so you can measure whether or not you're your trajectory is in the right direction because it very well can be in the wrong direction. Like that's not difficult to have your life crumble around you. I mean, it's pretty easy to make that happen. For instance, uh, read the reports that most people that are declaring bankruptcy, not most, a significant portion of the families that are declaring bankruptcy, it came as a result of a single large, highly expensive medical event that they were unprepared for or couldn't plan for because it's just how much it was. Just one one bad luck incident of you running into a hedge clipper or something and I don't know, pick, pick something out of a hat, but it can change an instant. Frankly, it can through no fault of your own. Something can happen that causes you now to be in a situation that you just, you can't be prepared for. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the way it is. Anyway, enough on that rant, returning back to Sandy, she wrote, I'm allowed to be frustrated, but all of those things are okay. in the list from before. Sure, there's a balance between all this, but that's not always going to happen. And I responded that I don't know when the general notion of people was that life was never supposed to be without frustration, sadness, upset, struggle, etc. For me, that's just an integral part of being human. And in my opinion, it's those lows in the day and generally when you're going through a low phase in life in general that make the good times so much more valued and appreciated. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much exactly what my thinking there. Next thing she writes is, all that being said, I do work hard to get through things and it's apparent at work. I've put in measures like using plugins and network restrictions to only allow certain websites during work hours. And if I need to read anything or work from a terminal with little distraction, 
I've got an old IBM R51 that is only capable of doing one thing at a time, preventing me from opening a bunch of applications or browser tabs. And I do go into the office if it's quiet there and I need to get a lot done in the day. And I responded that I'm glad she was able to get some tools in her tool bag, so to speak, to help her stay focused and on target. And also, the IBM R-Series were decent systems. Yeah, that's like, someone that's got that kind of old hardware, it's like, I would think it'd be very uncommon. This is, Sandy, you might be a perfect listener for us, considering our our focus on old hardware and old stuff. (laughs) That might have been part of what uh, keeps you listening. That's, That's pretty hilarious to me. I don't actually have any old hardware anymore. I... I did a purge and I kind of regret that. But then I go over look at JT. He's got everything I could possibly want. So I just go visit him and go play around with whatever he's got. <laughs> that scratches the itch I have. So, so winding down with Sandy's feedback, she writes at the end, if I'm getting the work done and contributing to bills, if I'm in a happy relationship, if I'm able to maintain friendships and occasionally have the mental budget for hobbies and projects, I'm doing all right. I'm happy that others are able to go beyond that and occasionally envious, but that's not me. I'm more of a Jeff than a JT, I guess. And so what I would say about this is that I think this is something that people generally misunderstand me because as we had in another episode, I think it was actually the AMA episode where somebody asked Jeff about whether or not I was quote unquote intense. I think that that kind of people like grok that and then go, oh, it just must be chaos all the time. Um, and like for as many things as I do, I actually live a pretty simple and quiet life. I mean, yeah, I will admit that in my 20s, they were about as crazy and intense as they could be. Uh, but like now I live in a small mountain town that's less than two square miles in size. I exercise for about an hour a day outdoors um, in the park on the roads. And like I'll run into maybe half a dozen people in the day. And that's, you know, during the year during the spring, summer, and fall. When the winter comes, that will drop down to about an average of zero people a day. <laughs> uh, because no one in their right mind would go outside. Uh, but <laughs> Clearly, you are not in the right mind then. Clearly. Uh, I'm either 110% focused on a project or hobby, or I'm sitting quietly outside on my porch without any distractions in sight other than a book that I'm reading or you know listening to the squirrels run around my yard. That's... Uh, I've. I've not sat and read a book on your back porch, but I have just sat and listened and enjoyed, and it's very, very peaceful. Uh, that's the way I, I want that for my life. I'm part of the reason for this move is to prepare for hopefully getting a place out, like you're talking about earlier. You were, I think, you mentioned something about you used to be able to get a house greater than two thousand square foot on half an acre for under a hundred k. I'm hopeful to get something like that in the next year or two. But since I've missed the boat on Housing market prices soaring. Now I'm kind of hoping for the housing market to turn and make it more affordable for me to buy a house. So I guess I'm waiting and hoping and preparing for a situation where I'll be able to get my own little slice of out and get away from the suburbs. Somewhere that's got trees too. So probably probably not going to end up staying in Dallas because there's just not enough real big tall trees around. It's really good farmland. So they in the past hundred years, they ripped down all the trees and just made it into farmland instead. So that means there's no big growth trees around. Not anywhere near me, unfortunately. But I'm hopeful that uh, I'll be able to maybe go east a little bit, uh, farther into East Texas. Somewhere that's still got good internet, but is more rural. And get my own little something like what JT has. And then I could sit on my back porch and read my book without distractions. That'd be really nice. Although, 
I don't think I'll get lucky enough to have one abutting a park like you have. That's that's pretty. I mean, pretty cool. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of things I could say about getting my house, and lucky is a questionable one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's yes, true. <laughs> I did get it for an amazing price. But you did. Also, yeah. yes, it is kind of falling over. So mm, not kind of it is. Well, it hasn't fallen, fallen over, over yet. So that's why I say kind in, in of multiple different directions. It's in the process yeah, of it's, falling. It's over. moving very slowly, but <laughs> it is moving that direction. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's so a. It's kind of a challenge to get out in front of it and repair it enough so that it doesn't fall yeah. over. Hopefully not with me inside it. Yeah, ideally not. Yeah. So if it ever gets that dire, will, will you have any advance warning? Uh, probably no. <laughs> okay. So if ever JT just falls off yeah, the map, assume that his house you, ate you'll, him. You'll know why. <laughs> That's very morbid. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But I, this is, this feedback, this is really, I, I loved all this feedback. Writing in and sharing so much. Sandy, thank you. And Vicky, thank you. And even the guy who was questioning my volcano question, thank you. Or my volcano statements last time. Thank you. This is really great feedback. That's one of the things that I love the most about this is the interactivity. And yeah, we go off in tangents. We go into depths sometimes. And I had no idea where that episode was going to go. The attention budget one. I just knew it had been on my mind. And I figured that uh, JT could help me sort some things out. And yeah, JT doesn't have the same challenges I do. So we wasn't really able to offer a lot of help. But I knew that listeners would fill the gap. So I hope that you don't take that as a slam or anything, JT. It's just you're not you're not that kind of neurodiverse. We'll just put it that way. I'm really enjoying all this feedback. I love the interactivity. Keep sending in feedback. Keep send us your thoughts. JT does a really good job of trying to respond to almost everything. And if you send something in and you don't get a response, don't take that to mean we're ignoring you. Maybe take that to mean that we're possibly considering stating it on air. Is it right to say on air? Uh, yeah, you can, you can say that. Also, if you, if okay. you don't get a response from me, uh, like if you send in an email, send it back in. Um, if you try to email me directly and it doesn't go through, then try to do it through the uh, fireside contact form. Because um, it's possible that it just got into the spam folder and I didn't see it. Uh, because if I get an email, I will respond to it, even if it's just a, I acknowledge your email, thank you for sending it in. And I think every one I've gotten so far, I've sent back, you know, uh, we'll cover it, don't worry. So. So that's, that was part of the original design goal, is to respond mm-hmm. to every email or feedback. At least to acknowledge that it was sent and to thank, thank the person for sending it in. So, I'm liking this, uh, I'm liking the feedback, I'm liking the format. I hope the listeners like it too. And uh, speaking of feedback, if you have any feedback about this episode, we have in the past actually done feedback about feedback episodes, so it's not too late if you didn't send anything in before, but now you got something to say. Send it on in. If it's interesting, we'll probably talk about it on the air or discuss it. Easy ways to contact us is just send the email directly to JT, as he was talking about earlier, or the Fireside form submission. Our active Telegram and Matrix channels, we have great discussion in there. There's also Twitter and probably some other ways, but I don't really pay much attention to anything else. So contact us. Let us know what you think about the episode. Let us know if we're off base or we're going in the right direction. Yeah, I look forward to what everyone has to say. 